Hello, friends and family. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Biblical Genetics. I'm going to have about a 22-minute main show for you, so I'm going to keep this intro as short as I can. I just want to say thank you. Love y'all. You're awesome. But I also like to be a little honest in my intros for my podcast and just to tell you what's going on in my life and in my world and, and the production of this show for you. I have um, got a brand new camera, which is excellent um, audio quality and video quality. So you're about to hear something that sounds a little different than last time, but I'm really pleased with it. But also I've um, still, again, struggling with the technology. I went out to Kennesaw Mountain National Battlefield Park. It's about a half an hour from my house. And I knew this particular beautiful field that I wanted to film in. And I got there and I got it all filmed on last Saturday and I raced home and I loaded everything up and I started editing and I realized that the sun was over my left shoulder and was striking my glasses to the point where it's making like laser beam etches on my face from the, the focal length of my glasses. And so I was in shadow and I had these bright spots like, like daggers on my cheeks and I was like, oh man, I can't use this. So I said, all right, I gotta go do it again. So Sunday after church, I drove out there again <laughs> and I walked out to the site and I set up and I got it all filmed and I was like, okay, that was good. I'm going to do it again. And so I got about three quarters of the way through the second take and the camera timed off with a heat default. It overheated and oh man, so the ending was messed up. But I knew the sun was moving so I couldn't use, I couldn't like cut and splice the two versions. So, so I'll just take it home. And I got home and I realized that my comb over had blown down on my face. Now, I don't really have a comb over, but I don't have a lot of hair on the top of my head either. I'm getting close to the point where I just shave it off out of frustration. And this is one of those things where, you know, it's just time to shave the head because it, I, I don't mind self-effacing humor. I don't mind looking like a dork, but there is a limit. <laughs> and this, it just passed the limit. It's like, oh man. So yeah, time for a, a much shorter haircut. So I, I just wasn't comfortable because, yeah, I am a little vain, just like everyone else in the world, and that was just too far in one direction. So Monday after work, I drive out there again, and happily, even though it was Monday, 5 o'clock, the traffic was fantastic. I got straight out there, hardly any stops, walked out to the site, filmed it, spot on, awesome job, way to go, sounded good, got home, and it was only a two-hour round trip but I had practiced this now four times. And so it came out the best has ever come out. And so what I have for you is a very well practiced now, but very difficult talk on ethics, specifically the ethics of using cells derived from murdered children through abortion in medical products, food products, and things like that today. Believe it or not, all of us interact with these products almost constantly. It's shocking the degree to which these have permeated our society. And I'm going to lay some of that out, and then I'm going to give you some answers on what we're supposed to do about it. Are we free to partake? Should we feel guilty? Should our consciences be vexed with guilt if we live in a society that's so wicked they actually will develop things on the backs of murdered children? Wow, when you put it in that context, ugh, what a mess this is, but it is a mess. So let's deal with it. Here we go. Fetal Tissue Research Part 3, Ethics. Well, 
Well, hey everybody, this is Dr. Rob. Welcome to another exciting episode of Biblical Genetics. This is my third in a multi-part series on the use of fetal cells in vaccines and medicine. This is going to be a difficult subject because we're going to talk about something that has no easy answer, and that is the ethical implications of using aborted fetal cell tissues in a lot of new medical technologies. Now, as a way of illustration, it's been raining a lot here. In order to get to this site where I am right now, I had to walk through a lot of mud, and I was very worried about falling into the deeper mud and even more concerned in the lighter mud to not get mud all over my clothes. In the same way as you and I are walking through this world that is full of evil and wickedness, we're trying to not get moral mud all over us so we can walk through this world with a clean conscience. And it's not always easy. I'm actually going to have several illustrations for you. Another one is a site where I am. I'm at a Civil War battlefield park, one of many around my home. I live in an area where a giant war was fought either to support slavery or to end slavery. And since I live in the southern areas of the country, obviously the area around here was a slave-supporting region. A lot of the fields that were cleared, the roadways that were pioneered, were done with slave labor. But you know, just a couple of decades before the Civil War, white people didn't live here. This was not European colonization area. This was Native American country. This was Cherokee country right here. And just to the west, just a little bit past where I live, was Creek country. Well, the Cherokees were expelled after Europeans discovered gold. And we sent them on what's called the Trail of Tears all the way to Oklahoma. That started right here. Should I feel guilty that I live on land that was expropriated from Native Americans and then farmed by slaves? Should I? Should you? These are subjects that theologians and ethicists have wrestled with, philosophers, for centuries. This is nothing new. This whole idea of how do we not be evil in an evil world is a very complex subject. And sometimes things are very easy to make an absolute declaration, this is evil, and other times it's not so easy. For example, I come from New York. All of my ancestors, except my grandfather who was born here on Jekyll Island because his father was a carpenter working for all those rich Rockefellers and people like that on Jekyll Island, but my family comes from New York. Only one line of my family was here before the Civil War. Everyone else came from Norway, oh, Ireland before um, the Civil War because it was Irish potato famine, 1845-ish. But Ireland, Norway, England, uh, the Netherlands, most everyone in my family came in after slavery was abolished. Should I feel guilty that I'm benefiting from that now? Interesting question, huh? Well, I don't think so. I don't think so at all because of several things. One, you're going to hear, if you ever get into this, people discuss degrees of remoteness. How many steps do you finally connect to an evil act? That's a very important consideration because the evil act, if you didn't do it, then maybe you can be guilt-free. Now, if you cooperated with it, then you should be guilty. 
If you're forced to cooperate with it, well, maybe you'll feel guilt, but really you were forced to. It's not your fault necessarily. So ethicists, they talk about uh, appropriation and cooperation. If you cooperate with evil, you're evil. If you appropriate something that was done because of an evil act, you may or may not be evil, and more than likely, you're not. More than likely, it's okay. If you benefit from something that was used for evil purposes. For example, just about all of the carts, uh, the farm implements, even the clothing used by the southern states during slavery were manufactured in the northern states. The northern states made a mint giving things, selling things to southern states for the propagation of slavery. So if you were a, a person in the north making a, a, a wagon wheels, let's just say, and you knew that your wagon wheels were going to be put on wagons and then sold to the southern states, are you cooperating in evil? Now, okay, you've already come up with an answer. Some people say, no, this is horrible. Slavery is evil. We need to resist it in every way we can. Other people say, no, I'm just a tradesman and I'm making something. That thing is neutral. And if I sell it to someone like a, you know, a big uh, uh, exporter, let's say, who's shipping things to different places in the country, and some of those things that I'm making go to the southern states, that's different. I should be free to do that because I'm not directly supporting slavery. But what about all the cloth manufacturers which were, who were specifically making a low grade of cloth to be worn by the slaves in the South? That was slave cloth. Well, that's a little different. So let's turn the uh, attention now to the use of fetal cells. All the illustrations I just gave you were kind of messy and not necessarily have a specific answer. And one of the problems was that, or is that 100% certainty often doesn't exist. We can rail against injustice, but then again, it doesn't matter how much we rail because our ancestors probably participated in a lot of it. Every single one of us, we have murderers in our family. We have thieves in our family. We have warriors in our family who stole stuff from other people. In fact, most every society on earth, if you say like, you know, I'm from Norway or I'm from Spain or I'm from China, wherever you think your people are from, your people probably stole the land that they lived on from someone who was there earlier. And we can see that in the archaeology, replacement after replacement after replacement after replacement. So should we give the land back to the Native Americans? Should the Norwegians give the land back? back to you know the Orkney Islands and, and Eastern England? Should we take the, the people on Iceland today who are descendants of women that were stolen by the Danes as they went to Iceland and send them back to, to Ireland and to Scotland? No, you can't do that. Well, the same is true for a lot of other things. Like, what do you do with um, Nazi experiments in concentration camps where they were freezing people to death? We learned a lot about the physiology of hypothermia through that. In fact, we've been able to save people's lives because the Nazis murdered people in the past. Well, should we not have that knowledge? Should we forget about it, erase the books? No, because once you learn something, you can't forget it. It's learned. Evil was done, and yet knowledge was gained. 
And so one of the things the ethicists will always say, theologians also, once something is learned, we can use it. Because to not use it might cause more evil. In the same way, if you're a, an adult and you're deciding whether or not to give your child a vaccination, the vaccine you know is built upon the back of an aborted fetus, aborted child. So a child that was murdered, cells were harvested, and now they invented a new technology. Well, you could say, I'm not going to give this to my child. But the child is morally free because you're making that decision for the child. If you gave it to the child, the child is not guilty for anything because you made that decision for the child. But also by not giving it to the child, you're actually possibly quite likely risking the child would be injured or sick, maybe even dead from any number of diseases. So again, 100% moral certainty doesn't exist. There are always trade-offs, almost always. In every example you can think of, there's a balance that one must obtain. And for the Christian, we have this, this, this struggle that we have because there's two things we're trying to do. One, we're trying to avoid evil. And two, we're trying to do good. Which one do you think is greater? What's the better aim, to avoid evil or to do good? I know both of them are actually impossible. All the good I want to do is tainted with sin. And all the evil I try to avoid still clings to me. Because I live in an evil world. And because people have done evil things. And there's nothing we can do to escape that. So apply that to my last episode where I talked about the five classic cell lines that are used in modern medicine. That's the HeLa cell line that was taken from an adult African-American woman without her consent. And then the four cell lines that have been used classically uh, that were obtained from murdered children. Apply that to this whole situation today where we have all these things that are developed because of these fetal cells. Now, I mean, a lot of things. There's a, a Catholic priest named Matthew Schneider, who's, I'm going to have some links in here. Two things, or two or maybe three, but probably two things by Matthew Schneider and one by Al Muller, who's a, you know, we don't have ranks in Baptists, but he's a high-ranking, very well-known Baptist. Anyway, Al Muller and Matthew Schneider in the show notes. But Schneider, he went and said, okay, I, I have an interesting idea. I'm going to take the top 10 prescribed medications and the top 10 over-the-counter medications. I'm going to put them into a search engine, and after that, I'm going to type in HEK-293. Every single one of the top 10 prescribed and over-the-counter medications had been tested on HEK-293. Every single one. I suspect that almost all food additives have been tested on HEK-293, at least, if not one of the other uh, fetal cell lines. I suspect that most things sprayed on your clothing as fire retardants, things that are treating in your carpet, most dyes, most everything in our world has somehow gone through the testing phase. In fact, some things are developed on these cell lines directly, like a couple of the vaccines used for COVID-19 today. A lot of the vaccines used in the past were grown on fetal cells, as I described in my last episode. I want to be an abolitionist. 
I want to say, if anything is touched an aborted child, that's it. I'm not going to use it. But I can't because the more that I learned, the more I realized that they've permeated our society. Now, I don't want this to be true. So the people who did this, somebody committed an immoral act. They murdered a child. They pulled the wool over our eyes in the halls of science and hiding behind very technical papers and, and industrial secrets. They developed all these things that are now used by us today. I don't like this. And yet, on the other hand, I don't feel guilty if I go to the doctor and the doctor has a treatment for me because of the degrees of remoteness. I mean, think about this. The doctor who murdered that child is guilty of murder. The mother who decided to murder the child, it's hard to say, is also not free. But the person who took that child from the operating table, because these were made, at least one of them, HK 293, before there were abortion clinics, there was, you know, abortion was not legal in the Netherlands when this was made. It had to be done in a hospital. Took the child right away, dissected the child. He didn't commit the murder, but he benefited from a product that was brought about because of a murder. Hard to say these things. But then a lab technician, graduate student, someone working in this man's lab a year later took tissue samples and manufactured a cell line and that cell line was then sold to other people who took it and did something with it and then that was then packaged into a product sometimes multiple products together which was then finally delivered to a doctor's office and then you go to the doctor say doctor i need a shot he gives you a shot you are so many steps removed from that there's no guilt for us considering that we're helping preserve life we're helping not only our own health, which gives us maybe more years to worship God and to do good works in God's name, but we're also protecting people who are more vulnerable because if we're not sick, we can't get them sick from a communicable disease. And yet the issue is not the past. I know people get so angry when you say, are you condoning murder? It's like, no, I'm not condoning murder, but I can't fix it either. The issue is not the past. The issue is tomorrow. And in my next episode, I'm going to illustrate the degree of depth of research that's been going on and is going on now and is going to lead to new products that you and I are going to be tempted to buy. Something that happened in the past before we knew better. Okay, you got us. But something that happens in the future is not acceptable. So we have to pay attention to these things and we have to rattle our sabers and we have to let all of our, our scientific uh, colleagues know and we have to let our representatives and government know that we're not comfortable with medicine developed from murder. I would be fine if a cell line was developed from a placenta or from um, a miscarriage, even though it's almost impossible because you can't take a miscarriage because it usually takes a day or two or more before the miscarriage comes out. It really has to be an abortion or a placenta, an umbilical cord, or an adult stell line. That would be fine. In fact, I will volunteer, as I said in my earlier episode, I volunteer. You can take my cells and develop something. Now, I'll be fine with that. I will lose all my privacy. I understand that. But at the same time, if that can be used to slow down the abortion industry, 
the stem cell, not the stem cell, the, uh, um, the fertility industry and using embryos, that would be a good thing. When I come back, we're going to be discussing politics. We're going to be talking about governmental policy and how it has influenced the use of stem cells in medicine. In fact, governmental decisions causing industries and universities to seek private funding. And so I've talked about five cell lines that are commonly used. Oh, that's nothing. They're over, well over 100 that have been approved for government funding. But there are thousands more in private places, in uh, institutes, in um, research uh, foundations, you, you name it. There's millions upon millions of dollars that have been raised by universities and non-university settings to pursue technologies based on fetal cells. It's deep, it's awkward, and it's ugly. The morality for you and me is very important because I don't want to think that I'm sinning as I'm walking through this world. I don't want to get that moral muddle over me. And yet, on the other hand, the morality for the industry is even worse. So let's pay attention. If you want more, go and look at my show notes. I've got some articles linked there. But also um, consider an article on creation.com written by Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, uh, CMI and vaccinations. There'll be a link there. But also my article, uh, RNA vaccines, uh, that, that I put on CMI, creation.com, that is, uh, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And uh, my earlier biblical genetics episodes on the subject. We are going to leave this pretty soon, and we're going to get back to more genetics and Bible. But for now, cons just consider what I've said. But also, don't forget two important principles, biblical principles. One, consider what Joseph told his brothers after his brothers arrived in Egypt, and they were worried that Joseph was going to retaliate. He goes, no, 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 brothers, what you meant for evil... God meant for good. Now apply that to this stem cell, this, this fetal cell, this uh, embryo from the fertility clinic. Apply that to those thoughts. And I think we can use this evil to do good. But also consider 1 Corinthians chapter 8. This is the famous meat sacrifice to idols passage. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, which was a major Greco-Roman city and a major center of paganism. And the Christians were struggling because they knew that if they went to the market to buy food, because they ate meat, well, that meat would have come from a temple, and the temple would have sacrificed that meat to a demon. What was Paul's answer? Well, he said, what of it? It's just meat. I am free to eat it. My conscience is clear. And yet, he would have been supporting financially that system by buying that meat. Well, that's interesting. But then he said this. He says, yet, if my Eating meat causes a brother to stumble. I will not eat meat. So as a strong Christian, Paul says this doesn't mean anything. I understand the economics of the situation. I understand the moral implications of being tied into this. And yet, it's just a hunk of meat. And yet, for somebody else, for the weaker people who are really struggling with this, I don't want to cause them to stumble. So I would not eat meat in that case. So Paul is making a very interesting and very nuanced theological argument. He knew the the economics of the situation. He knew the morality of the situation. He knew the theology of the situation. He knew how people were wrestling over this. And he said, look, it's okay. We live in this system. There's nothing we can do about it. 
We don't want to directly participate in evil, but an indirect participation, even to the point of buying meat in a temple where you're help, actually helping support the temple financially. Why? Because it's meat and it's a butcher and that's what we have to eat. Thoughts like that have to be applied to this whole entire fetal cell debate. It's not easy and it's not fun. However, we can do this. We don't have to fly off the handle and go off into conspiracy land. We don't have to, you know, isolate ourselves and pull away and go live in a commune where we don't use anything from modern society. I mean, what's that going to do? But we can let people around us know that we understand the situation. We know what's going on. We don't like it and we'll refuse the future. That's where we have to plant our flag because the future is where evil is going to basically wash over us if we don't keep our guard up. Back in the 1970s, we didn't have Google. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have YouTube. We did not have ways of communicating with people like we have today. But today we have so much knowledge and so much more information and it's so much easier to find things out. Christians, stand firm, stand straight, stand strong. Yes, these things are difficult, but there are moral answers to these questions and we can be diligent in looking at the future to make sure more evil is not happening and at the same time we can approach the present without a tremendous load of guilt that we have to live in this crazy world that we live in. Alright, that's enough for today. I'm going to come back with more next week. You just wait on Biblical Genetics. And as always, I want to thank my supporters. You people are wonderful. On Patreon, Ken F, you're at the top of my list. But Rob S, Dave H, you came on early and I really appreciate it. Adam B, MN Matsky, love you guys. You're awesome. Mark K, Daniel P, Jeff V, D, Jonathan P, Ted H. Thank you. And my brand new Patreon supporter, James R. Thank you. I don't even know where some of you people come from but I so much appreciate your financial backing because you're allowing me to upgrade my technology. My new camera, the tripod that someone donated to me last year, my spare camera over here. Um, you are getting biblical genetics out there and you're allowing me to have uh, the freedom to produce the show so that others hopefully can be educated, benefited, maybe, maybe, just maybe, my efforts can help spread the gospel in this crazy complicated world. I also want to thank uh, my supporters on, on buymeacoffee.com. Now, Patreon, monthly support. Buy me a coffee, one off. Here's a couple dollars, Mr. Carter. Go ahead and buy yourself a coffee. Thank you. But um, Logan K, I have not forgotten your generous donation. Jeff W, welcome, sir. Thank you so much. And Stephanie S, you came through yet again. Thank you. I appreciate all of you. Thank you.